We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If I ventured in the slipstream between the This episode of Inside Golf Podcast is brought to you by RickRungood.com. All of the stats, tools, and info that I will be discussing on this episode can be found over at rickrungood.com. Right now on the site, I just completed a very in-depth breakdown of Marco Simone. I know there are only 24 guys headed to Rome, but I still ran a full model. I went very deep on the very specific type of skill that I believe is required this week why this course is different from what we see week to week on the PGA Tour. This is a golf course that was built for the Ryder Cup. It was built for match play. And yet there are certain PGA Tour courses that I do think we can look at to help us get a sense about the type of skill profile that may have some success this week in Rome. Talked about some players that are potentially undervalued in the market overvalued in the market, and so much more. So heading over to rickrungoods.com, promo code Andy. That is the important part if you want to help me out. All of my Ryder Cup written work you can find exclusively over there on that website. That Slack channel is the best place to reach me with any Ryder Cup questions. Uh, I'm going to be locked in all week because this is one of my favorite weeks of the year. I'm all in and I've got some strong opinions and definitely see some opportunity in the betting markets as well. Speaking of strong opinions, for the third, yeah, third year in a row, uh, NFL has been off to a really hot start. I thought this was maybe a two-year hot streak, uh, but we've got a large enough sample size now that I'm just starting to come to the conclusion that I'm a, uh, a far sharper NFL better than I am in Frankly, every other sport, which is illuminating to me because I approach NFL in a far different way than I approach golf. I've talked about this a couple times now on podcasts, but the NFL is is all about understanding the market, Uh, honestly, even more than understanding the sport. And uh, I have just gotten really good at being able to interpret that market. I do have some help, of course. I have some Vegas syndicate folks that I bounce things off of, but very long-winded way of saying all of my NFL stuff this year can all be found in the Ship It Nation Discord. Um, This gives me a place to post the bets as soon as I place them. That is key uh, because when you bet in the NFL, I cannot emphasize this enough, 
is almost more important than who you bet. Um, so this gives me a great opportunity to be able to get things out to everyone in the Discord channel as soon as I do it. And I do the vast amount of my betting very early in the week. I'm already locked in to two bets for next week. It's Monday morning. Uh, and I get to answer any NFL questions and really kind of have a platform to chop it up on all things NFL, which is a blast for me because I, uh, I haven't had that in the past. Uh, but I would get in now because we are absolutely cleaning up in that Discord. I'm not the only sharp guy in there. I can tell you that. I got some, last week I got some props from one of my Vegas guys, posted them in there. They all hit. I'm not even a huge props guy. But uh, every piece of information that I get on the NFL, which is a lot, pretty plugged into that scene, I post all of that in the Ship It Nation Discord. So head on over to shipitnation.com, type in code ANTI to get that discount. That is the crucial part. Want to get that 10% off. Uh, and we would love to have you as part of the community. Still really early in the NFL season. I can absolutely promise you um, based on the information we're giving in that Discord that you will get your money's worth and that's up. All right, coming up on this podcast, little two-parter for the Ryder Cup. First, my friend Dan Rappaport of Barstool Sports joins us live from the Marco Simone Media Center for a report on the grounds about Scotty's putter, the vibe in Rome, storylines, his pick to win, European X-Factors, US X-Factors, married life, uh, and much more. And then in the second half of the episode, I dive into a much fuller preview of the golf course, the players, and of course, the bets that I have made. So without further ado, this is a jam-packed one. Let's bring on Dan. All right, Dan Rappaport is here joining me live from Rome. You are in the media center right now. So let me let me ask you, is this uh first time at the course? What are the initial impressions, my friend? Uh, first time at the golf course. Been to Italy before, never never been to this golf course. I actually haven't had a chance to look around. I just got here. I was in uh, Paris with my wife last weekend. So I just got in this morning. Uh and I was kind of doing some finishing up some work in the media center here. And then went to the captain's press conference with Zach Johnson and Luke Donald and did some more work. Now I'm talking to you. Then I'm going to talk on our podcast. So I'm actually not sure I'm going to get to see the golf course till tomorrow morning, but it looks pretty. It's big. It's warm. Speaking of which, congratulations. I know you got married recently. A lot of, a lot of mutual friends of ours, Harrison, Andy Wallach, things of that nature. I've heard great things, attended the wedding and said it was a wonderful evening. You are, I got to say, I don't know when you're when you're moving to LA, but I cannot go to my golf club in Los Angeles without, oh, you know, every single time I tell somebody I work in golf, Dan Rappaport, my kid played soccer with Dan. Yeah, he grew up playing. He, he, he went to camp with Dan. You're, you're a local celebrity. I get so around, I guess I get around. Um, no, it's, I mean, I'm really looking forward to moving back. Uh, October 30th is looking like the date or November 1st. So one of those two, I can't remember. So it's happening. You know, that, that's a sign that, that it's home. Like it, it, it is home. That's where my people are. New York's been a great chapter, but six years later, the sun returns and the countdown has begun. So was this a bit of an extended little honeymoon for you guys? Was this, uh, your yeah, wife, you guys kinda. were in Paris and then you went to Rome together as well. 
So she's not here, actually, because uh, the golf course is about 40 minutes outside the city and the, the hotel is kind of outside the city. She doesn't want to stay anywhere where she has to Uber. You know, she wants to stay walking distance. So she's actually still in Paris. She's smart, smart girl. So she'll be <laughs> in Paris for another another couple of days. But yeah, I mean, she's starting a new job. She's in between jobs because she's starting uh, at a new firm in L.A. So she doesn't start working until October 9th. So yeah, anytime you get a free flight to uh, to Europe, you got to take it. So took her to Paris. You know, kiss the ring a little bit, and now it's time to 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 focus on golf for another week. Yeah, yeah, business trip for you here. So yeah, okay. exactly. So the vibe in the vibe in Rome right now does it feel? Because I feel like Ital- Italy kind of you know mixed as a golf country. There's been some questions. Do do people really care here? On the other side of that, I think everything I've heard about the venue is that this is kind of a perfect venue for spectators and for viewers. There's all these hills and valleys that can kind of reverberate the noise. They've got this grandstand up on one that's supposedly the biggest grandstand that they've had at a first tee in in the Ryder Cup ever. So we talk a lot about the the home turf advantage, right? For for the, the U.S., Obviously had a ton of success at Whistling Straits. We were both at that, I believe. But then obviously we have not won on European soil in over 30 years. So does it feel like this is going to be a big time European atmosphere similar to what we got in La Golf Nationale where the fans and the crowd feels like they can really get behind this European team, a fun young European team, by the way, like a new guard Very, yeah. of Europeans, not the Sergios and the Ian Poulters and the Lee Westwoods. Yeah. Like those days are done. Yeah. You know, French, France is not exactly a golf crazed country either. So I think yeah. the Ryder Cup does kind of, transcend you know i saw a lot of signage coming in when i landed about the Ryder cup they've, they've definitely been promoting it you know there's promotional events all around the city it's also europe is so is so close like everything is so dense around here i mean my flight from paris this morning was like an hour and 15 minutes in the air so i would expect there'd be a lot of a lot of english a lot of scottish a lot of irish who come and take a holiday here because it is it is quite beautiful and you know 30 minutes from Rome, it's a, it's a massive city. So I, I would expect there to be definitely a good, a good home field advantage here. And like you said, you know, this golf course was built for this event. So if you think about a course like TPC Sawgrass, which was built for the Players' Championship, when you build a golf course for an event, you naturally put in amphitheaters and, and you put in you know, areas that are great for spectating. So you're right. That that is kind of what I've heard is that it's going to be a great match to play the golf course. It's going to be a tough walk. Uh, I think it's going to be warmer than than typical Ryder Cups. I remember it was it was not warm at all uh, in Wisconsin, and I, you know I, I remember most of the guys Tiger looking like old and creaky and cold in France. So I think it's going to be you know in the 80s this week, and with a hilly golf course, that might be a bit of a challenge for guys trying to play all five. But uh, I think it's going to be electric. I really do. I think anytime you put a a tournament that doesn't come around every year and it's really if you think about it it's once every four years in europe right or a Ryder cup it's really it's been five years it's the last one because of covid but we think of the Ryder cup as every two years but if you're a fan a european golf fan it's really once every four years so you get an opportunity to go to an event that's only there once every four years and it's outside a major city and italy is already a place that people love to come to with amazing history and amazing sites I think there will be Italians here, but I also think there will be a lot of a lot of Brits that kind of come down and, and just make a holiday out of it. It makes a lot of sense. It is a fun European team. 
they've got some vibes, man. They've got some mojo this this week. You know, I don't know what it is. I I, I guess it's because sort of just the personality of the players. But the 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 U.S. team almost feels like the villains, kind of a little bit. I think that's maybe because they're on the road, maybe because they were a little bit boisterous uh, last time when they won. You know, Justin Thomas, I remember with the with the tap ins, and he was you know slamming beers on Saturday afternoon. The U.S. kind of have the the almost like a bad boy swagger to them, where they're like, "Screw all this!" You know, they're everyone's getting a mullet. It's like it's almost fratty. Whereas I feel like the Europeans are just you know they all twelve of them played in the BMW. Uh, they're all playing very well. I, I think they're more cohesive, but by design, you know, I think that's that's kind of their mo. Whereas I think the Americans, especially after whistling straights, where the takeaway was, if we let our guys do our thing, they're the better players. So that was Steve Stricker's mantra. He, he kind of went light on schedules. He went light on team dinners. Whereas the Europeans go the opposite way, where they do everything together and they become one big family. So it's a difference of styles. Not one is right, not one is wrong, but but the teams definitely have different personalities. You feel have you are have you gone on record with a pick yet? By the way, I should ask. I'm I'm about to. So I'll just, yeah, I, I'm picking Europe to win. Um, I think the Americans have a big advantage in depth. Right. I think one through twelve, they are the stronger team, but. I think if you just look at one through eight, which is, of course, you only need to play eight uh, in the team sessions, it's four matches in in all four, four match, four two man matches. If you you know going from Hovland or Rom or McElroy or whoever you want to put on top, kind of down through through Ludwig, and I'm I'm including Shane Lowry in that. He's been playing much better. I think he has something to prove this week. They're just as strong, and I would argue that their top three guys. Are, are playing better uh, than our top three guys or, or than the U.S.'s top three guys right now. So I, I would I would expect Hoygaard and and McIntyre to play, you know, one match maybe before singles. I would expect him, Luke Donald, to really lean on those guys one through eight, you know, have, a, have all of them play four matches. A couple will probably play five. You know, I think I think Victor goes five. I think, you know, I think Rom goes five. I, I, I think he has to put this this competition in the hands of his most capable players and there are eight that i think are it can go you know they don't need anything special to happen to win it's not like it's also you know there was so much there's so much discourse last time about the course setup and in france and it's true it was very narrow and it was very penal and that played into the europeans hands but there's not you would know more than this the statistical profiles of the team are not so different as they were back then very true. Um, when you get rid of Ian Poulter and you get rid of you know Paul Casey and Sergio Garcia, these guys who are kind of old school players, Europe's got a, a bunch of guys who hit it really far and who you know play on the PGA Tour. And it's not they all play on the PGA Tour really, except for two. So it's not like there's this huge gulf in styles like there was two years ago or five years ago. Sorry. So if we're thinking about the roadmap for the Euros winning. Who do you think that X factor is for them? Yeah. Because if the if the Euros win, yes, obviously we all acknowledge that they're big dogs at the top, your Roms, your Rory's, your Hovlins, they obviously all need to play well and probably are all going to go five matches, as you mentioned. But I also think if the Euros winning, we're also getting a wait, Justin Rose went three and oh or Matt Fitzpatrick went four and zero. I think it's Matt Shane Fitzpatrick. <laughs> I think it's Matt Fitzpatrick. You know, I I think he has the the worst Ryder Cup history you could you could possibly have. 
I can't find the stat, but I remember they said it, you know, when he lost to Daniel Berger in singles in Wisconsin, he was like the only player since I, I want to say 1958 or 1959 or something like that to play in two Ryder Cups and have zero points. He's 0-5. He played only two matches. He was uh, such 20... a baby at Hazeltine. He though. was a baby. He was 21 years old. He was probably flying at 260. That golf course was like the most Americanized golf course you could possibly play. He was kind of a sacrificial lamb. I think he was really, really disappointed that he didn't get a chance to play four ball at Whistling Straits. He played with Lee Westwood both times, which Westwood wasn't playing well. You know, he played well in the match against Berger, but lost. Anyways, he's got this horrible Ryder Cup history to confront. But at the same time, you know, in the two years since then, he's he's made leaps and bounds in his career. He won a major championship. He's, I think he's number eight in the world right now, which is probably a little higher than he should be. But he won another designated event this this year. So he's got that confidence. Um, but you, you don't include him when you talk about the horses on Europe because of his bad Ryder Cup history. But again, this is the first time he's getting a chance at home. And I think the vibes will be different. I think, like you said, he was very, he was not ready for Hazeltine. And Wisconsin wasn't a great experience. I think being on home soil, you know, match 29 now, I think he, he has a, a little bit of confidence that he's not just like one of these young guys. He can he can sort of speak up. He's, he's earned the respect of his peers. I think they need really the three Brits. And I know that's easy to say because it's a fourth of their team, but... If we talk about the top three being kind of a, a given, right, that they're going to play well in, in Rory, Hovland, and and Rom, and you talk about the bottom sort of two in Hoygaard and McIntyre, anything that they get from those guys would be a bonus. In that middle that middle range, I look at Fleetwood, Hatton, and Fitzpatrick. The Brits have to play well if they're going to have a chance. Okay, one more quick Euro question, then I want to do one or two U.S. things with you. Yeah, But uh, the Ludwig hype. He got the Rory yeah. blessing now. Um, mm-hmm. In my in my world, the top rookie, the top European point scorer, the Ludwig hype train has reached a screaming point. What are your expectations for Ludwig this week? How many matches do you see him playing? Do you think we're going to get a Hovland pairing, a Rory pairing? What are your thoughts on on Ludwig? Has it gone a little bit too far, or or are you expecting a pretty big coming out party for him this week? It's gone. It's gone. Definitely, I think both can be true. You know, I think it's definitely gone a little too far. But anytime you got a guy, you know, it's never happened before. Where a guy was playing, you know, Big Twelves for for Texas Tech hey. three months ago, and now he's playing in the Ryder Cup. The first guy ever to, to play in a Ryder Cup before playing in a major championship. You know, he's he's won in Europe. He won the in Switzerland. I'm a little concerned is is he's he's been in the mix on the weekend a few times and played like a really, really poor round. Mm-hmm. He did it again at Wentworth. He had the two shot lead. I think he shot four over in the final round. I can't remember where he did it. Oh, in Detroit, Luke Donald was talking about he was nine under through sixteen holes with him, and then he kind of made right. a mess. I, I I just, you know, this is gonna be such a different stage than he's ever experienced. It'll be interesting to see how he, how he adjusts. I, I think he'll get a Victor pairing. I think Rory's going to play with Shane Lowry this week. But Victor and, and Ludwig, you know, uh, all accounts have become kind of fast friends. Norwegian and, and Swedish are apparently, obviously, I don't know a shit about either, but are apparently very similar languages. Culturally, there are a lot of similarities there. And then when they took their scouting trip here, him and Ludwig beat Tommy and Rory in a match. So I think they're feeling it. I would expect him to, to play right away. I think... 
you, you've got a piece like that where everyone's got eyes on him. I don't think you want him to to have to sit in that morning and to hear the crowds get louder and louder. You know, it's going to be an electric scene on Friday morning. You almost want to get it out of the way right away and just get him out there, throw him into the fire, make a birdie. And and these guys all say, yes, you're very nervous on the first tee, but you know, by two or three, it's golf. So I expect him to play four. I'll say two and two for Ludwig. If we're looking at the U.S. side of things, if we're looking at the roadmap to a U.S. victory, who's that X factor for them? Uh, Scotty, I think. Um, I think Scotty was such a, a bonus last Ryder Cup, last guy in the, in the team, really. I mean, they don't release the order of the picks, but most people thought he was the 12th out of 12. Um, and he went first over first in singles and beat John Rahm, who was number one in the world at the time. And that kind of gave him the belief that he's one of the top players in the world. He, ha- he has not been as consistent uh, as he was earlier in the year. Uh, and we all know about the putting struggles. I just saw him getting a lesson from Phil Kenyon on the putting green. So hopefully that does the trick. But, you know, if Scotty is is putting even decently, he's he's almost like a trump card with how well that he's 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 hit it this year. But I think if Scotty misses a few putts early, shows a little bit of weakness, then you've got the, the number one player in the world, at least OWGR, who, you know, you, you have to think about not even playing if, if his putting gets to that point. So I think if Scotty struggles, it could mean trouble for the U.S. And if he doesn't, uh, it could instill confidence that like, hey, we we do have the better players. He is the number one player in the world. Um, and all this talk about, you know, this, that or the other, we haven't won here. None of these guys really have been part of those losses in Europe in the past. They're a young group. Most of them have done more winning than losing in team competitions. And, and they're, they, you know, they don't have that scar tissue. They're very confident. They're They're brash. Outside of one magical week at Oak Hill, uh, Brooks Kepka hasn't been playing the best golf. He obviously just had a kid as well. There's some concerns about Justin Thomas's recent form. Honestly, Jordan Spieth, Colin Morikawa, a lot of these guys on the back end of the U.S. team haven't been playing it. Haven't been playing as good as at least we'll say they looked when they were coming into whistling straights as well. So who would you say from the back end of that U.S. team is the most likely? We obviously know that Scotty needs to show up specifically with the putter. Xander and Cantlay, that's a given. They're probably, I would guess, at least going to play four altogether, maybe five. Yeah, but I who, agree. Who's, who at the back end of the U.S. team? Is it a is it a wow Morikawa went four and zero? Is it a? Justin I think Brian Thomas Harman could kinda... be a bit of a bit of a weapon this week. Yeah, you know Brian Harman's definitely. Who do you got think that he gets paired with? I think he gets paired with. It's a good question. I don't think he'll play. Maybe like um. I think Brooks would maybe be like Wyndham, Wyndham, yeah, or Brooks. I could see like those three guys kind of pairing with each other. Uh, you know Harman by all accounts is is a, is a fighter. You don't see it much in stroke play, but you know the guys who play with him a lot say that he's he's absolutely devilish to play against in match play. There's that story about him like getting pissed off because Ricky Fowler in college walked to the next hole and he freaked out and like you know won the next three holes, whatever it is. But you know, I think back to to Webb Simpson on the 2018 team, where you know wasn't a sexy name, wasn't the top ranked player on the team, but on that golf course he was so valuable because he was the one of the only guys who could really keep it in play. I think Harmon and Morikawa fit that profile of guys where like, all right, if it's, if it's truly, you have to find the fairway because it's so penal. Those are the two guys I think who the Americans can count on to be steadiest. 
Uh, and Harmon can, you know, chip and put the lights out of it. So I could, I could see him being a very, very good match player and kind of a tough, annoying out uh, for anybody because he's small. He doesn't look like, you know, he doesn't really hit it anywhere near as far as most of these guys. That's the guy who's annoying to play against in match play. All right, final question, because I know you got to go record yeah. another pod. When we're sitting here on on Sunday afternoon, what's what's the big story? What's the big takeaway? Who's the guy that we're walking away with that changes? I don't know if I want to say their legacy, but who changes the perception of them the most throughout these next three days in Rome? That's a good question. I'll say Victor Hovland. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that I don't know that he could really change perception that much because he's he's sort of done any everything that there is to do besides win a major. Um, but he you know, he did play all five uh in Wisconsin and didn't win a single match. He went 0-3 and two. I, I think he played decently solid and you know, kind of ran into an American buzzsaw. But you know, as of right now, you you still kind of look at Rory and Rom as the two leaders of the team. Yes, Victor's right. playing as well as anybody, if not the best of anybody in the world, but those two guys kind of are the alphas. I think this is the week that Victor, I, I think he might go, I, I, I boldly predicted him to win all five of his matches. Uh, I think this this week um, is the first week that people start to think about, okay, is this guy the best golfer on the planet? Yeah. Has he reached that level where we can say he's, it's not like, oh, when he's playing well or this or that, it's just he's he's kind of elbowed his way into that Rom, Scotty, uh, Rory tier, if you want to include Rory in there, that's, that's been kind of the the triumvirate for the last year. So I think a big week this week from Victor, especially after the FedEx Cup, would would send his stock rising pretty high. I kind of feel that way about Rory. As as I feel you, like you think, is, you think he's going five and zero. I think this is the week where I think if there's one thing that could happen that would maybe take out some of the poor taste in Rory's mouth from another majorless year. It's it's five and zero oh and winning the clinching point. Like, what do you think Rory would trade? Winning the U.S. Open or winning the Cup for Europe in a Sunday single match? The final the final point. He, he's a he's very savvy PR wise, so I think he might say the Ryder Cup. But I think but he would the, trade. I think he would trade his second child for another major. I, agree. I mean, there's I agree. nothing. And I've written about this so many times. It's not fair because. He's literally done everything there is to do since winning the last majors. Won the players on the FedEx Cup. He's been the player yeah. of the year. He's done this. He's done Statistically, that. Statistically, the best golf of his matter. career the last just two doesn't years matter. And, just doesn't yeah. really matter for his legacy. So, uh, yeah, I don't. With I mean, I I just think it would be like great. I think there and it's not again. It's not fair. It's cruel. But I think if he did that, the reaction would be great. We'll, we'll see you at Augusta. Like that's just the way he's judged. All right, Dan Rappaport. Thanks for checking with me, buddy. Enjoy the rest of the week in Rome. Um, pumped to have you out here in LA. We'll play golf soon and have a great week, my friend. Talk to you soon, yeah. buddy. Looking forward to it. We'll do it again soon. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. One more thanks to Dan for hopping on on short notice. Uh, now let's talk a little bit about the golf course and, of course, who's going to win and uh, some bets that I have. So Marco Simone. Uh, this golf course is in Guidonia, Italy. It's kind of this beautiful little Italian farmland just outside of Rome. It's a really hilly property, a pretty topographically interesting golf course. The decisions that were made on such uh, topography, uh, I take some issue with, but we can get into that. It was designed in 1991 first by Jim Fazio, Tom Fazio's brother, but it got a complete renewal in 2018 by Tom Fazio II, which is not Tom Fazio's son. That's Jim's son. So Tom Fazio II worked on Marco Simone while he was attending Mississippi State, very young architect. And along with Trump Westchester, that was another one of his first projects that he helped dad on. This was you know, one of the first things that he's ever really had full control of. And many of the design qualities uh, can be placed in context, given the lack of experience from its leading architect. But, you know, whether Marco Simone, uh, Simone is in kind of architecturally sound golf course, uh, I would say is of little relevance when assessing a Ryder Cup venue Tom Fazio II, along with the help of European Golf Design, produced this completely new routing uh, that was originally, from what was originally laid out by his father. You know, the goal for Marco Simone was not solely to host future Ryder Cups, but also be utilized as a regular staple on the DP World Tour. It debuted the DS Automobiles Open in 2021, which was one uh, one by none other than captain selection Nikolai Hoshgard. The following 2022 and 2023 renditions were claimed by Robert McIntyre, another member of the European Ryder Cup team, and Adrian Moronk, an almost member of the European Ryder Cup team. But Marco Simone kind of immediately developed this reputation as one of the more challenging courses on the DP World Tour. It's had a cumulative scoring average of over half a stroke over par. And I mentioned the topography. It's set amongst kind of this mountainous rolling terrain. It's got a fair amount of water hazards and man-made ponds and thick native grasses that frame these very narrow fairways. It's going to be very interesting to track whether either team rolls out their stars for all five matches uh, as Marco Simone is far and away the most hilly and physically demanding Ryder Cup venue in recent memory. The course is a bit loud, a bit overbaked, you know, almost kind of unscrupulous for my taste. But again, the Ryder Cup is really the only event where I'm willing to sacrifice and and give pardon to logical design in exchange for an enrapturing setting and theater, 
right? And and Marco Simone's intrigue as a viewing experience uh, is inarguable to me. The course features this very TPC-esque routing. The first tee atmosphere will be raucous. Um, the back nine utilizes plenty of stadium-style risk-reward holes with kind of a varying degree of outcomes. And while it's certainly hilly, they're what you get in turn with that is some very magnificent high points for spectators to be able to view multiple holes at once. Uh, the noise should kind of reverberate through some of these rolling valleys. Um, yeah, I wrote about this on Twitter. I wish there was kind of a little bit more Italian quirk and charm to the golf course. It, it feels very manufactured and built. There's this abandoned farmhouse that frames the 13th green. That's probably my favorite feature of the course that you know feels the most Italian. But the property does carry a bit more, and this is what you get from European golf design in any Fazio course. But you know, I kind of and I wrote this in my article. It's like kind of tried to create PGA National in Italy. Um, but the flip side of that is that PGA National delivers on the PGA Tour every single year and features a super exquisite closing stretch. And we will have that in spades at Marco Simone where kind of big numbers lurk at every turn. It, there's no debate to me whether this is an excellent match play course, whether it's a golf course I would personally like to play. I have a bit of a different opinion on that. I, I don't know how fun this golf course would be for an amateur, uh, but if we're grading it on the scale of, is it going to be loud? Is it going to be good for spectators on site, um, which matters a lot, even for those watching at home, you want to be watching a Ryder Cup that feels loud um, and where you can see people, I think, and I went to this Ryder Cup at Whistling Straits. I think part of the problem with Whistling Straits, and it did get hurt a lot by the fact that COVID was still a kind of defining feature of that time. And there weren't really many European fans that were able to travel, let alone too many U.S. fans that were able to travel. But part of the problem with Whistling Straits is you got seven, eight holes that completely border Lake Michigan on one side. Whereas Marco Simone, you're kind of going through this giant valley. So there's going to be holes where you're going to have fans completely wrapped around both sides of a hole. You're going to see guys hitting shots into greens that have these natural amphitheaters with grandstands all around the green and the green sits in sort of a bowl. Um, it's going to look really good on TV, in my opinion, especially with the native grasses. Um, and, you know, they did a really good job with the man-made ponds, which, again, they would probably, if I was playing the golf course, would feel a bit manufactured to me. But in the context of a Ryder Cup, I understand why this was done, right? This is not a golf course that is trying to top any top 100 continental Europe ranking of the most sound and interesting uh, design 
it is a golf course that was built exclusively for the purpose of hosting professional golf and hosting a match play format. And ultimately, I'm fascinated to see what tricks the European side has up their sleeves in terms of course setup. There's already been some rumblings that some of the rough they're going to trim down a little bit. There was a recent interview that I read with the Marco Simone groundskeeper that suggested that course conditions will not really differ greatly from what we have seen the last three years at the Italian Open, which would certainly make sense because none of the guys on the American team have ever played the Italian Open where you have a bunch of guys on the European team that have not only played the Italian Open, they've performed tremendously at the Italian Open. Hoshgard and Bobby Mapp both won the Italian Open. Rory has a top five there. Fleetwood, Hatton, Fitzpatrick, all those guys have top eights there, right? And so I, I wrote earlier this month on rickrenka.com about how the captain selections of Nikolai Hoshgard and Ludwig may point to a setup that is more advantageous to bombers. I will get to this shortly, but this is the longest European team. The Euros are longer than the U.S. this year. Um, and the U.S. is a little bit more accurate. The contrasting of styles is is this European team plays more of what we think of co- conventional American golf to be than we have seen in, in years past, even the guys that are coming over from that play a lot of their golf in Europe, whether it be Hoshgard or Bobby Mack or Ludwig, those guys' biggest asset to the Euros is how far they hit the ball off the tee, right? So this may be the first Ryder Cup in recent memory where the European side possesses a clear advantage in terms of their power off the tee. And, and I'll break down the numbers behind that too, but on the contrary, the U.S. side possesses the two shortest and statistically most accurate players heading into heading into Rome and Brian Harmon and Colin Morikawa. So, you know, the second you make this golf course super advantageous to accuracy over distance, you're kind of putting a feather in the cap of the biggest two assets that the U.S. has. They have the two shortest guys that are going to hurt the most if you turn this into a bomb and gouge fest, but they also have kind of the two most accurate guys that are going to be benefited the most if you turn this into complete accuracy contest. So that sort of dichotomy and push-pull was set up is a really fascinating thing I'm, I'm excited to track this week. And I, I can gather uncertainty based on the picks that were made for the European side that Marco Simone's setup will be in stark contrast to what we saw in 2018 at La Golf National. And a La Golf National setup that favorably uh favor that heavily favors, cannot speak with that one, that heavily favors accurate driving, that would be counterproductive um to the kind of cumulative cumulative skill that Luke Donald has assembled with his team. So let's dive a little bit deeper into the stats. Uh, You know, my data profile on Marco Simone remains somewhat incomplete due to the fact that 
it's never hosted a PGA Tour event, there are still plenty of valuable insights that we can gather from its time hosting the Italian uh, Automobiles Open. And one piece of evidence that sticks out to me like a sore thumb, and you're probably going to get banged over the head with this uh, in terms of content this week, but long and accurate drivers appear to have a massive edge at Marco Simone. You run through the leaders in true strokes gained at Marco Simone over the three years that it's hosted the Italian Open. Rory McIlroy, Tommy Fleetwood, Lucas Herbert, Aaron Rye, Kurt Kitayama, Robert McIntyre, Richard Bland, Tyrrell Hatton, Adrian Moronk, Victor Perez, Matt Fitzpatrick, Nikolai Hoshgard. The only player in that group that I can definitively say is not a great driver of the ball is Herbert. And, you know, we know what Herbert can do with his putter. Even Richard Bland and Aaron Rye, those two guys possess elite accuracy off the tee. So again, whether distance or accuracy becomes more important, I'm leaning towards distance based on the team that the Euros have assembled. That's a tough question, but it's abundantly clear that a player benefits from being above average at both distance and accuracy or elite at one of the two. And you run through the the five most accurate guys heading to Rome. It's Morikawa, Cantlay, Fleetwood, Straka, and Harmon. So the U.S. has the two most accurate drivers over the last six months in Morikawa and Cantlay and three of the five most accurate. Europe has Sepp Strzok in there, who's ex- incredibly accurate. Victor's pretty accurate too, but again, I don't know how much they're going to utilize Sepp Strzok. I don't know how big a part of the game plan Sepp Strzok is going to be. Whereas I know definitively that Cantlay, probably Morikawa too, and certainly Scheffler, who ranks eighth in accuracy, will be a big part of the calculus for the U S team. And if we look at length, uh, Europe has four of the top five in, in terms of distance off the tee, Rory, Ludwig, Nikolai, Wyndham Clark, John Rahm. But then you do six, six, seven, eight, and it's Sam Burns, Scotty Scheffler, Brooks Kepka. Right. So, you know, Marco Simone, it's a golf course that has been compared. I've heard Bay Hill, off the tee at least, which skews more in the direction of distance than accuracy. And I can I can certainly understand that and, and get behind that. I would probably venture to say that there will be even a, a graver penalty for wayward driving at Marco Simone than, you know, Bay Hill. But Marco Simone is not a second shot golf course like many of the other PGA Tour courses we see on a week-to-week basis. It skews more similar to TPC Potomac or Royal Liverpool or TPC Sawgrass in the sense that you got to get to point A before we can even talk about point B, right? Accomplishing the first task is crucial. Of course, the second shot is important, but players can pretty much eliminate the possibility of making birdie fairly quickly if their first shot is offline. Um, Many golf courses on tour allow players to get away with murder off the tee. You know, Rory McIlroy contended at both 
Oak Hill and Olympia Fields with absolutely zero regard for finding the short grass off the tee. I do not believe that such a strategy will pay off at Marco Simone. And I, I wrote about this earlier this month, but uh, the Nikolai selection and the Aberg selection for that matter, although it seems like Ludwig was always going to be an easy call as we got later in the year and see him start to break out. But specifically the Hojgaard selection over Moronk, this is something I found interesting. Um, and I wrote about how kind of the biggest reason to take Moronk over Hojgaard, because their history at Marco Simone is a wash. They've both been excellent. But the reason to take Moronk over Hojgaard is because Moronk is a lot more accurate off the tee than Hoshgard. And they still took Hoshgard. So that has me leaning in the direction that this course may be set up in a way that favors distance over accuracy. Of course, the European team is control, of course, set up. And, you know, why they, you know, while they have a team that's chock full of excellent drivers of the ball, Hoshgard and Ludwig are far from the only members of the European team that are far more long uh, than they are accurate. Like you run through this European team and Rory McIlroy, this is over the last six months, second in true distance, 115th in true accuracy. Ludwig, 10th in true distance, 56th in true accuracy. Nikolai Hoshgard. 12th in true distance, 138th in true accuracy. John Rahm, 19th in true distance, 95th in true accuracy. Robert McIntyre, 34th in true distance, 139th in true accuracy. Even Tyrrell Hatton, 52nd in true distance, 88th in true accuracy. And so if we go by the numbers, Matt Fitzpatrick, by the way, 82nd in true distance, 120th in true accuracy. So if we go by the numbers, distance is actually far more of an asset to the European side than accuracy is. Every single member of the European team ranks inside the top 90 in true distance. And four of the 12 rank inside the top 20. The average distance rank of the Europeans team is 45.0. And we ought to imagine that Rory, Rahm, and Hovland, three of their five longest drivers, will be utilized very heavily. You know, on the contrary, you have Tommy Fleetwood and Sepp Strucker, the only Europeans to rank inside the top 20 in true accuracy. And Rory, Hoshgard, Rahm, McIntyre, Hatton, Fitzpatrick, all those guys rank outside the top 80 in true accuracy. It's not a very accurate European team off the tee. They yield an average ranking of 75.4 in true accuracy compared to 45.0 in true distance. It's a big discrepancy. Now, if you contrast that with the U.S. side, they're still a more long, the U.S. team is still more long than they are accurate, but you have a couple players on the U.S. that the discrepancy is far greater, right? You've got guys like Brian Harmon, who's 130th in distance, but 21st in accuracy. Colin Mark Collin, 97th in distance, 9th in accuracy, right? Um, so a lot of these players on the back end of the team, you still got, 
your longer players that don't happen to be particularly accurate, Wyndham Clark, 18th in distance, 100th in accuracy. Sam Burns, 22nd in distance, 114th in accuracy. But the average distance rank of the U.S. side is 50.25. So they're not quite as long as the Europeans, especially at the top end. Like Rory, Rahm, and Hovland are longer than Cantlay, Justin Thomas, Schaffler, Brooks, even now, uh, Fowler, Homa, Shoffley, Spieth, Markawa. Um, and the U.S. team's average accuracy rank is 64.56. So the U- U.S. team is more accurate than the Europeans, right? And the gap between the two is a lot closer. For the Europeans, 45th in accuracy or 45th in distance, 75th in accuracy, U.S. 50 and 64. So that gap is smaller. And it doesn't even account for what I mentioned earlier is that if you have a setup that favors distance over accuracy, that's going to hurt two players on the U.S. side in Colin Morikawa and Brian Harmon more than it's going to hurt any other player on the European side. So by taking Ludwig and Hoshgard. That's given the Europeans four of the five longest players of the entire 24 headed to Rome. And that kind of bolsters their length advantage even further. A golf course that emphasizes length over accuracy completely devalues the off the tee skill of both Harmon and Morikawa and increases the advantage that the Euro's best two players, McElroy and Rahm, have over the U.S.'s best two players, Scheffler and Kaler. Cantlay, McElroy and Rahm are far more inaccurate than Scheffler and Cantlay, but they're far longer. So what it also is doing is if you're looking at the top end, the best asset that Cantlay and Scheffler have at the top end is that Cantlay and Scheffler are more accurate off the tee than Rory and Rahm. But the best asset that Rory and Rom have over Scheffler and Cantlay is that they're longer, right? So something to think about in terms of course setup. I'm certainly going to be keeping my eye on that. Um, and then I went through uh, all of the holes at Marco Simone. And if you want a deeper dive on this, not going to go hole by hole here. But you can find that on uh, on rickrenga.com. I broke down every single hole in detail. But I wanted to figure out the average proximity buckets. And, and again, this is averages here, right? This is kind of the most likely. And the three buckets that came out the most for me, inside 100 yards, 22% compared to a tour average of 10.5%. Makes a ton of sense, right? You've got up to three potentially drivable par fours. Two of the par fives, I'm not totally convinced that everybody's going to be able to get home in two. You might have kind of a flip wedge as your third. A couple of shorter par fours as well that might not be drivable, but you could have a very, you know, a flip wedge in. And then 50% is 175 yards plus compared to the tour average of 43%, right? So you're still getting that abundance of long iron shots. It's really the mid irons, again, another contrast to Le Golf National, which was a ton of mid irons, which kind of, again, speaks to how this European team has changed in skill. This is a wedges, flip wedges and long iron golf course, which again, 
that makes sense for the European team. You look at the best long iron players in the world uh, or in the field this week specifically, but these guys are kind of the best in the world too. The US, the European team has three of the top four. Rom, Hovland, Rory, Scheffler. Those are the four best long iron players, right? Even Justin Rose is in there with kind of that next tier is Morikawa, Cantlay, and Rose. Um, so this is a golf course where we're going to see a lot of long irons and that makes sense. That's smart. If your three best players are Rom, Hovland, and Rory, because Rom, Hovland, and Rory are shufflers right there with them. But, you know, basically the three best long iron players in golf right now. Um, so I think we're going to see like, uh, the two longer par fours on the back nine 14 and 15 that are going to decide a ton of matches maybe mid irons based on i always under underestimate how far these guys drive it but those are kind of long iron holes and those holes are going to decide a lot of matches so if you can put yourself in a position where some of these matches are going to get decided on 14 and 15 and you have a long iron in the hands of Rom, Hovland, and Rory, it's really shrewd. It makes a lot of sense. I, I don't know um, how much they fiddled with the routing, or m- maybe this is a little inside baseball, and I'm now diving into stuff that maybe even the European team isn't necessarily feeling like they need to factor in, although you know I wouldn't put it past them. Um, but finishing on 14 and 15, a lot of matches ending that way. It's going to be long irons. Um And I think that is a massive, massive asset for the European team is how great the long iron play is of their three best players in Rom, Hovland, and Rory. Whereas there are a lot more long iron questions for the U.S. team. Jordan Spieth is not a good long iron player. Sam Burns is not a good long iron player. Brian Harmon, not a good long iron player, right? Uh, And then Beck Grass, I talked about I haven't talked about putting as much. I think that putting is a skill in match play that often gets overrated. Uh, I will still take elite ball striking over elite putters seven days a week. And that's why I personally wanted Cameron Young on this team over Sam Burns. I understand that he's a good putter. This isn't even Sam Burns' preferred surface, though. I will say that there's about six guys in the field that are better long-term bent grass putters than Burns. Um two of them on his own team and Patrick Cantlay and Max Helma. But um, you look at the bent grass splits over the last two years, Hatton, Hatton's a really good bent grass putter. Hovland, Hovland's a really good bent grass putter. Cantlay, Max Homa, Matt Fitzpatrick, Justin Rose, Sam Burns, Rory McIlroy. Really good surface for them as well. So, and then the last thing I just briefly wanted to talk about, I, I mentioned kind of the course history comp course idea. I mentioned how this European team has some nice experience at Marco Simone already. And they've got six guys, Rory, Fleetwood, Bobby Mack, Tyrrell Hatton, Matt Fitzpatrick, obviously, and Nikolai Hoshgard, obviously limited sample size. All those guys have gained over a stroke per round at Marco Simone. Rory McIlroy, fourth. Tommy Fleetwood, second. Bobby Mack, first. Tyrrell Hatton, eighth. 
Matt Fitzpatrick, 7th. Hoshgard, 1st, 27th, 15th. Hovland's got a 34th. So a key advantage for the Europeans is that not a single member of the U.S. team has seen Marco Simone under tournament conditions. On the other hand, seven members of the European side have played in the Italian Open and not just played in the Italian Open. Six of the seven have recorded a top eight finish. Um, And maybe that's why, not to do the Brian Windhorse meme, but maybe that's why the groundskeeper's talking about, hey, we kind of like what we have in the Italian Open setup. Pretty much half our team has contended at this golf course and none of the U.S. guys have ever seen it before. We have all this evidence of Rory and Fleetwood and Bobby Mack and Tyrrell Hatton and Fitzpatrick and Hoshgard, like all raising their baseline on this style of golf course based on the Italian Open setup. Um, so that's an interesting one to monitor as well, because I'm curious is like, how much does Luke Donald really want to change about this golf course? How much does he really need to change about this golf course? And then if you look at maybe the types of golf courses in the U.S. that this is somewhat similar to, um, I mentioned Bay Hill, again, kind of skews more in distance over accuracy, which again, that might be what we end up seeing. And again, there'll be a there far graver penalty for large misses at Marco Simone, but both are long, firm golf courses where long and straight is the name of the game. And you look at Bay Hill and uh, Rory has won there. Scotty Scheffler has won there. Tyrrell Hatton has won at Bay Hill. Matt Fitzpatrick has five straight top 15 finishes at Bay Hill. And then again, I think there's a lot of PGA National here as well. Host of the Honda Classic. No water does not come into play on nearly every hole the way that it does at PGA National, but both golf courses are all about hitting your targets and wayward driving is penalized gravely. Um, Just in the way that water acts as a stroke penalty at PGA National, the thick native grasses at Marco Simone are going to force players to hack back out to the fairway. You know, neither course is overly long. Marco Simone is not that long of a golf course, but both feature an extremely challenging set of par threes and risk reward par fives and shorter par fours. And I know it's different in agronomy and location, but the questions being posed at both PGA National and Marco Simone are incredibly similar. And again, you look at the PGA National leaderboards, this, you kind of get it from both sides, but more so the Europeans. Sepp Straka's won at PGA National. Justin Thomas has won at PGA National. Ricky Fowler has won at PGA National. Rory McIlroy has won at PGA National. So each uh, team has two guys that have won at PGA National. But you go down a little bit farther than that. Justin Rose, Shane Lowry, Tommy Fleetwood. All of those guys on the European team have multiple top fives at PGA National. Um, So I did create a model because I wanted to identify value uh, in terms of the top point score markets, which is what I'm going to talk about next. So I ranked every single one of the 24 players heading into Rome. And here's who it spat out. This is all of the stuff I talked about, a lot on total driving. I built my own off the T model because I think off the T is really important this week. As I've mentioned many times, you can find the nuances and actual breakdown of that in my Rick Run Good article. 
A lot of the long iron play inside 100-yard stuff, scoring ability, bent grass putting, experience at Marco Simone, experience at some of the other golf courses I've talked about. And here's who it shot out. Scotty Scheffler, number one. Victor Hovland, two. Rory, three. Cantlay, four. Rom, five. So this is kind of what I talked about in terms of the Europeans at the top. They they do have three of the top five guys in, in Hovland, Rory, and Rom. But then this is kind of why I think the U.S. side still like kind of leaning towards a touch is Homa is sixth. I have some interest in Homa. I worry about how much him and Colin are going to get to play. And, and Homa's a rookie, so maybe that's the, you know, you see a guy like Ludwig getting all the love in the top rookie market. I kind of like Homa in that market a little bit more unless the only thing deterring me from that would be if they pair Ludwig with Hovland or Rory, which is a distinct possibility. And then, yes, if you're asking me who I would favor in a single round matchup, Ludwig and Rory or Homa and Murakawa, I'm taking Ludwig and Rory. Um, but just in terms of a guy who I do think is like very well suited for this golf course, Max Homa six, Xander seven, Ricky eight. So once you get past the top five, the U.S. has six, seven, eight. Hatton nine, Wyndham Clark 10, Colin Morikawa 11. There's been a lot of uh, Brian Harmon is a bulldog. You know, Brian Harmon is kind of this steely underdog that is going to have a really strong week. Um, Brian Harmon, just to for, do a little foreshadowing here and get ahead of ourselves, Brian Harmon's second to last in my model behind Robin McIntyre. I think there are some significant, significant problems for Brian Harmon potentially on this golf course if the Euros decide to set it up in the way that I expect them to set it up. I think Wyndham Clark has a much easier path. I, I don't know if Wyndham Clark maybe has like the mental toughness that the unquantifiable factor that everyone seems to be penciling in with Brian Harmon this week. I mean, the guy did win a U.S. Open and also just said that um, he thinks he's better at golf than Rory McIlroy, which is quite the take. I, you know, again, maybe another thing keeping me off of feeling very confident in the U.S. side is I don't love the idea of giving the Euros and Rory that type of bulletin board material. We'll talk about Rory a little bit later because he would be my pick for the top point score overall. I think, I think Rory is going to have an unbelievable week at this golf course. And I think it is a good time to capitalize on the fact that Hovland's odds because of the way he's been playing is basically just as low as Rory's for top point score. And in this format um, on this golf course, given the experience, I'm still taking Rory over Hovland if they're the same odds to score more points. Um, But Back to the Wyndham thing. Like, I think Wyndham has a much easier roadmap for success on this golf course than Brian Harmon does. Um, 11 Colin, which is interesting. I've gone back and forth like a number of times on whether Colin's going to stink here or be really good. And I kind of find myself falling right in the middle. 
12 Tommy Fleetwood, I don't I, I think Tommy Fleetwood's a guy that's gonna get a lot of run this week. I I don't think I'm in in as love with Tommy Fleetwood's course fit here as maybe some others are, or I'm certainly not as in love with his course fit as I was at Le Golf National. 13 Ludwig. This is a great golf course for Ludwig. He gets hurt because we haven't had a good enough sample of he's had some rough iron performances in there and some kind of rough putting performances in there. I think this is still a good spot for Ludwig. I think if you're betting Ludwig, you're really not getting much value. You're kind of hopping on the hype train. Maybe not at the right time. You're you're kind of cresting that market, right? You're you're not he's not really sneaking up on anybody this week. Um but Ludwig's gonna I think Ludwig will play four sessions. And I do think there's a, a very decent chance that he will be paired with Hovland, Rory, or both. Brooks at 14, that's an interesting one. He has not played good golf this year at all outside of one week at Oak Hill, even on the left tour. But in theory, if I'm just thinking like, you know, this golf course kind of reminds me of like Beth Page in some ways, long and straight. It's a tough golf course, a tough walk. It's a mentally draining golf course. All of those things point to Brooks in my eyes. 15 Justin Rose, 16 Matt Fitzpat or 16 Shane Lowry, 17 Matt Fitzpatrick. I talked about that a little bit with Dan. That 15, 16, 17 range, Rose, Lowry, Fitzpatrick, one of those guys is going to need to step up for the Euros. Everybody's talking about Ludwig and everybody's talking about the top end of the Euro team. I'm telling you right now of the Rose, Lowry, Fitzpatrick group, all those guys are kind of wild cards to me. I probably trust Fitzpatrick the most, even though he's been terrible and Ryder Coast, probably the best player. One of those guys is going to need to step up, in my opinion. I think that, yes, Hovland, Rory, Rom, they're going to be able to do a lot of heavy lifting. I don't think we're going to see a lot of SEP. I don't think we're going to see a lot of hose guard. I don't see we're, think we're going to see a lot of McIntyre. You're still going to need to roll out a Rose, Lowry, or Fitzpatrick uh, a lot. Uh, one of those guys is going to play four matches. Um, I don't think that we are just going... I, you're not going to see, they're going to be able to hide Bobby Mack and Hoshgard and Straka if they wish. They're not, once you try and start hiding four or five guys, the num, the math just doesn't work out in that equation. So I, I think a big, if I'm giving you my X factor it for the European side, they're going to need something out of Rose, Lowry, or Fitzpatrick. One of those guys is going to need to go like 3 0 and 1. Um, and on the US side, that brings us to, well, let's run through the end of it. 18, Justin Thomas, 19, Sepp Straka, 20, Sam Birds, 21, Hoshgard, 20, 22, 22, Spieth, 23, Harmon, 24, McIntyre. Uh, everyone's talking about Justin Thomas. I think this is a terrible golf course for Jordan Spieth. Um, and I have, <laughs> Jordan Spieth's not a good driver of the ball, not an accurate driver of the ball. He's fine on distance, but it's, Hard to trust. He has been at times a good driver of the ball. 
his numbers don't stack up remotely to the top of this field in terms of driving on the distance side or the accuracy side. And I actually have more confidence. I did play him at the Fortnet and watched him a great deal at the Fortnet. I don't know if this is a hot take. I have more belief in JT this week than I do Spieth. I won't be betting them at all in single round matchups. Uh, I have major, major concerns about Jordan Spieth on this golf course. And I have major, major concerns about Sam Burns on this golf course too. And that's why if we see a, I wrote about this as well. Again, this is another article I wrote about on the site and I go a lot deeper on this, but I'll paraphrase here. Sam Burns his ability to hit a long iron consistently and his struggles with wayward driving, I think you could run into some serious problems hamstringing Scheffler with Burns in alternate shot if Burns' ball striking is not on point. Um, I don't statistically love that pairing. I know they're buddies. If it was me personally... I would roll out Scheffler with Brooks or Homa um, statistically or even Ricky Fowler. Statistically on paper, I know that you don't want to break up the Xander-Cantley pairing and maybe you don't want to break up the potential Homa-Morikawa pairing. But man, if you're asking me my wish list, I would love to see Scotty and Brooks pair together. And I honestly don't think their contrast, their demeanors are that much of a contrast. Like I think that Brooks and Scotty view golf in a somewhat similar way. They go about their business and do their best to cut out the bullshit and they hit the ball similar length. They would be approaching the greens from spots that they are used to. Um, and I, I, I would hide Burns on this golf course, but maybe they know something that I don't because they took him over Cameron Young and left, you know, a top seven driver of the ball in the world at home in exchange for Sam Burns. So, you know, maybe there is something about Scotty and Burns. They do their Bible studies and vacations together. Maybe they bring something out of each other that is unquantifiable and I'm not seeing in the statistics. And the same can be said for Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas, because the statistics that I have do not love a JT Spieth pairing, and they do not love a Burn Scheffler pairings. The pairings that they do love, Xander and Cantlay, that's probably the safest bet that the U.S. Hyde have. And then, man, I, I would roll out Wyndham Clark more than I would based on his driving ability more than I would roll out Harmon and Burns and I don't know if you put Wyndham with Fowler I think that could work I think Wyndham and Brooks could work pretty well too I think Wyndham and Homa could work pretty well too but like if I'm the U.S. side once you get past Cantlay and Xander the guys that I'm leaning on are like Scheffler, Homa, Ricky. Wyndham, call it Brooks, right? Like the guys I'm more scared of, honestly, Spieth and Harmon. I do think JT will show up and kind of defy course fit a little bit because the reason why 
this course fit is not great is mainly because a lot of the numbers I'm looking for are from the worst golf season of his career. If you put this in a time machine and took JT's numbers from like 2017, would he be an adequate fit at Marco Simone? Absolutely. But I have major concerns about Jordan Spieth and Brian Harmon on this golf course. Um, so if I'm attacking the uh, top points market, um, I just think Rory's going to have a massive week, right? I, I'm kind of, I've been really wishy-washy on my pick. Um, I think that if you are holding a plus 180, a plus 200, even a plus 175 with the European team, that's an excellent bet. That line was far too high. Um, this has, should always have been, this should have opened as U.S. being a slight favorite over the European team. The U.S. should be favored. The U.S. does have a better team on paper, but the gap between the two should have never even remotely scared the two to one range. And I'm kicking myself for not holding a plus 185, even like a plus 170 shows tremendous value for me on the Euro time. Euro side, my real line is like US should be minus one, minus 120, minus 125, which I, I think is kind of what they're at right now. I think, I think this line is kind of where it should be. Um, I think the US should be slightly favored, um, but not by much. But, you know, at the time that the European were Europeans were big dogs, I big underdogs. We didn't know that. Well, I guess some of some of us did shout out Tron, but, you know, Ludwig had it. Ludwig wasn't Ludwig yet. Right. And um, even, you know, guys like Hojgaard and Sap, there were a lot of questions. And, and so I, I I don't know if I'm kicking myself for not betting the euros months ago at plus 185. Um, but hats off to those who did. Um for kind of seeing the light with that one and seeing getting a little glimpse into the future with that one because that's a that's a really good ticket to be holding that I'm certainly jealous of. Um, I think if I'm attacking this from a who's going to win standpoint, I joked in one of my group chats that it would kind of be serendipitous for the Solheim Cup and um, the Ryder Cup in back to back weeks both to end in draws. Um, but the only thing that I can say with definitive confidence is that I think it's going to be really close. All of the exact score markets of like 14 to 14, 14.5 to 13.5, you know, 15 to 12, that's where it's going to be. This is not going to be an uncompetitive Ryder Cup in, in either side. There, It's certainly in the range of outcomes. Like I do have in my range of outcomes, I kind of map this out. 17-11 on either side, I could maybe see occurring, but I think it's going to be pretty close. And I don't really think there's a whole lot of value in, in betting either side right now. I think that line's just about right. So the way that I'm going to attack this market is Pretty heavily through, I will have a wager on Rory McIlroy, top overall point scorer. I think that this is pretty much the only thing he's got left 
this year until Augusta to hang his hat on that he could truly walk away from this year saying, I have something to hang my hat on based on the fact that I've statistically played the best golf of my career. Um, I talked about this with Rappaport a little bit, but, you know, is winning the clenching point in the Ryder Cup, would he trade that for a major? In my opinion, absolutely not, but it's probably the closest thing. I like the bulletin board material that Wyndham Clark has given him, and I think there's a very decent chance that they're going to look at Rory and say, we're we're not taking any chances on you putting Hoshgard or McIntyre with you. Like, you'll play with Ludwig, but yeah, we'll put you with Hovland sometimes. Or, you know, maybe he's... I could see him playing with Fleetwood too, which I but I think is absolutely fine. Um, but I can say with certainty that Rory's going to get a lot of run. I don't know if any guy is going to get five matches. You know, Luke Donald's alluded to the hilly nature of this course and, and maybe resting some of his guys, but Rory is going to be prominently featured in the Europeans calculus. And I think the fact that Hovland has been playing so well, Hovland is like the buzzy guy to break out. And I still think that Rory should be favored over Hovland in any market to be the top European point scorer. And it's still a little too close for me. And there's a little value on Rory. Um, I think Rory's going to have a, we didn't talk a ton about John Rahm on this podcast. That's probably really where the value is, right? Like Rahm could be the sleeping giant is, I just don't know who he's going to get paired with, but is anyone surprised if Rahm goes 4-0, 5-0 this week? I've heard some rumblings about him being paired with Fitzpatrick. Um, I really like a Rahm-Hatton pairing, so maybe they go in that direction. The team all grumpy, I think, could work out quite well for them. Um, I I think Hatton, uh, outside, if you're asking me, who would you bet top point score outside of the big three that Europe has? I'd bet Hatton. Um, Hatton's the best course fit for me. I think Hatton's going to play a lot. Hatton's had an unbelievable year. So I think that covers it. I will write about DraftKings uh, on the website on Wednesday. And you can find all my NFL stuff. I already made a couple NFL bets already. Um, in that Ship It Nation Discord, promo code Andy. Uh, Andy works for rickrungood.com as well for all of my golf written work. Uh, any questions you have for me pertaining to the Ryder Cup, any prop bets, I'm happy to discuss all of that in the Rick Run Good Discord as well. Best of luck with your bets this week. Uh, I hope that viewing the Ryder Cup is a little bit uh, more convenient for you if you're on the East Coast than it is for me on the West Coast. It's going to be couple late nights uh, and early mornings or a little bit of both for me out here in Los Angeles, but uh, absolutely worth the price of admission. This is uh, probably my favorite golf week of the year, probably my favorite sports spectacle um, in general. So uh, thanks for all of the support this week. Really looking forward to this one. And we will be back on uh, Sunday night or Monday. Recapping everything that we saw in Rome. We'll see you next time. Cheers. All right, that is it for the podcast. Special thanks to Dan Rappaport, rickrungood.com, 
And we will be back next week recapping the Ryder Cup, talking a little Sanderson Farms. We are one for one in the fall swing uh, with Saheth. By far, I warned you, by far my most profitable time of the golf calendar is right now in that fall swing. So I'm excited for next week, actually. That should be a fun one. Until then, best of luck with your bets this week. Enjoy the football. Enjoy the Ryder Cup. And we will see you next time. Cheers. If I ventured in the slipstream Between the viaducts of your dream Where my world still runs crack And the dead center back road stop I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.